Guchin Funzaski, the great-great-grandfather of traditional Okinawan karate, he said it best. He said, prepare yourself in the safety of your home because when you leave, you'll face 1,000 enemy. <laughs> that was the mindset, is that when you leave your home, you are susceptible to the attack of 1,000 enemy. Whether that enemy be a true external foe or more than likely the enemy of your own inferior thinking. So the warrior knew that they had to prepare themselves before they left every single day. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Hey there, Dr. Emily Kybert here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. For many of us, our wellness journey is heavily skewed towards the physical, the mental, and the emotional development. But oftentimes, our spiritual side is underdeveloped. Today, we sit down with Greg Amundsen as he explains that developing the spiritual side is as critical as exercising our body and our mind. Greg is an authority at the forefront of the wellness world with a breadth of experience and knowledge. He's a former DEA special agent, U.S. Army captain, CrossFit coach, seminary student, and four-time author. Today, we're diving into the universal quest for meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Based off of his historical teachings and the warrior mindset, Greg is a crusader for turning your attention inward and serving others by leading yourself. He believes the greatest adaptation for any physical practice happens right between the ears and uses his spirituality to inspire his clients and fans. He walks us through his view on the spiritual practice, how to master the productivity of your own thinking and the importance of being conscious in the words that you speak. He shares his personal journey to finding enlightenment in Christianity, what his newest book is trying to achieve and how he is spreading a unified message that transcends spirituality and time. If you feel like this podcast is adding value, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this episode. Greg Amundsen, I am so privileged to be speaking to you today, myself and Emily Kyberg, to have you on as one of our very first guests on Muscle Medicine. And Greg, you are a brother of mine and a very dear friend and one of the forefront authorities in wellness. Your biography is very long. Former DEA special agent, SWAT operator, U.S. Army captain, Kokoro yoga teacher, and avid meditator, and actually have written your fourth book. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. It's good to be here. It's an honor to be on your show today. Thank you. So Greg, you know, you are really a leader in mentoring people and really humanity as a whole. And I think that all the listeners really want to know about you and they want to know how you got to be where you are today. And from our perspective, you are a leader in the community a spiritual leader, a physical leader, really an integrated being. 
And that takes cultivation of the spirit. And I think that with the cultivation of the spirit, there is a past. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your upbringing and about how you have gone from there to where you are today. Yeah, awesome question. Thank you. The question I get asked a lot, I'm in seminary school, and one of the common questions professors and fellow seminarians ask each other is, when were you saved? (laughs) And the way that I answer that question never seems to satisfy because they're looking for a dramatic moment in time when I found the Lord. And in my case, it's all I've ever known. And so in regards to your question, this integrated way of perceiving the world, this integrated way of living, this what is referred to in Sanskrit as sadhana, an integrated spiritual practice, these are principles and methodologies that I've known since my earliest childhood memories. And that is due to my mom and dad. And at a young age, my mom and dad were parents. Yet as I grew and I matured and I started to have a longing for greater depth of knowledge and wisdom, I started to realize that my parents were not your average parents. (laughs) And they were sages. They were saints. They were forward thinkers, revolutionary, my mom and dad, extraordinary individuals. And so as I began to mature and really desire an increase in my own self-realization and self-actualization, there was a dynamic that changed in the relationship I had with my parents. And they went from parental figures to mentors, to people whom I look to for leadership, for direction, for inspiration, for education in my life. And I still had the utmost respect for them. The Bible says, obey your mother and father. And I did, and I still do. Yet there was a greater reason to obey because I saw them in a light that was extraordinary. And even now, as I am certainly in adulthood, and as in many respects, I am the one providing mentorship to other people, I realize even more now than ever how extraordinary my parents were and how much more I have to learn. They're no longer on earth with me, but I still feel they're whispering to me through eternity. That's really beautiful. You had mentioned that you're in seminary school and you're there right now. Is that, is that still happening? Yeah, that's happening now and will be for probably three years. <laughs> that's amazing. How did you end up there? How did you become called to do that? Yeah, good question. You know, it wasn't my idea. <laughs> like so many of the good ideas that people point to in my life, they're not my ideas. Like I'm so certain that seminary in the direction, the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life, because I had on the horizon, I was forecasting at some time in my life going back to school. Although I was interested in chiropractic school, my dad was a chiropractor. I thought maybe law school or an MBA. And so seminary was never on the horizon. I didn't know what seminary was. And then I just got this leading, this deep prodding almost. And almost unexplainably, The next thing I knew, I'm sitting in an orientation at Western Seminary 
and I'm off to the races in a Master's of Divinity program. And that's really when I reflect on the most creative times in my life, when I was in what they referred to in the warrior tradition as mushin, like without mind, without consciousness, like in flow state. It's just allowing the Holy Spirit to freely navigate my life. You know, the Bible talks about how the Word of God can be the lamp onto our feet. And you think about being in a completely dark room or a dark forest or a dark alley and you have a flashlight. The purpose of the flashlight is just to light up the space directly in front of you. And so you can take your first step in a well-lit, safe environment. Then you take that step and lo and behold, you've illuminated a little bit further in front of you. And that's kind of how I've allowed the spirit to lead me. I never really know exactly where I'm going. But I certainly know the next step. I know where the Lord wants me to be today. And when I'm in his presence today, then I have the assurance that I'll also be there tomorrow. And what's amazing is that after a period of time, you know, after a season in that light, I've been able to create some really, I feel, meaningful projects. I've been able to bring some really rewarding projects to life. Yet I really can't quite understand how they were created other than that i was just allowing the presence of the holy spirit and lord to move through me that's amazing your creative process do you have a program in place a ritual in place to really tap into that spirit yeah the creative process that's what as of late many people have been most interested in is my creative process and first of all the creative process is an endowment of the Holy Spirit. Every single child of God has the capacity for creativity. In fact, there's two different ways to read the account in Genesis of God's initial command to Adam and Eve. You could see the command through the biological perspective. We were commanded to multiply. So you could understand that command in terms of reproducing your kin, having a family. Yet I think God was up to more than simply the reproduction of the species. I think to be fruitful and multiply could also mean creativity, that your ideas are like seeds and they can sprout and bring forth an amazing harvest that benefits humanity. And so when we allow the presence of God to lead us, that's the ultimate source of creation. There's no greater source than God for creation. And if we're made in the image of God, we all have an endowment of creativity within us. The stumbling block for most people, like the writer's block, so to speak, of creativity, is when people try to do it on their own. And what I do is so simple. I just pray. You know, I spend a great deal of time in meditation, and I tap into the presence of God. And then once I make that connection as if I'm plugging a light, I simply allow that current to flow through me. And that process has repeated day in and day out. It's as simple as that. Everyone has the ability, the capacity, the opportunity, the availability of the presence of God, just like I do. That's really beautifully said. And you have, you've written four books now, and I'm assuming you've done it with that process. And and you just had a book come out recently. I would love for you to share that with us. Sure. Yeah. Well, the most recent book, depending on when this episode is airing, is not 
out yet. It will be out likely by April 24th. And that's a brand new endeavor for me. It's called The Warrior and the Monk. And this is my first time writing in the feeble format, the storytelling format. And it's a story within a story. And Joseph Campbell, as the master storyteller, detected that within consciousness, within the human experience, it's almost like God imprinted on the DNA of humanity a story. (laughs) And it's the story of salvation. It's the story of searching for treasure. It's the story of fighting against dragons and the protection of treasure. It's the quest for meaning, for purpose, for fulfillment. If you look at the most engaging stories, whether the story be the book that you would have in hand or the movie you would go to see with family and friend, there's a theme throughout the stories that we love. And that's the story I feel that God put in our heart. That's what Joseph Campbell, in his discovery of what he called the story within the story, is that there's a unified message that transcends all spirituality, that transcends all culture, all time. And that's what I've tried to capture in this new book. And the gist of the book, I just love it, (laughs) is there's these two main characters. There's the warrior, which represents you, me, the listener. We're all this character of the young warrior. And then what's really cool is this wise monk character is a conglomeration of some of the greatest mentors in my life. So for example, Mark Devine makes an appearance through the voice of the wise monk. Dan Brule makes an appearance. Jesus Christ makes an appearance. Pantajali Yoga makes an appearance. Bhagavad Gita makes an appearance. Krishna, Arjuna, these amazing sages and saints make appearances, including what I'm really excited about, my mom and dad. They make an appearance speaking through the timeless wisdom of this wise monk character. And the whole story is the story of everything that humans, whether we're conscious of it or not, experience. And to the degree that we can be conscious of it, the better. And what we're all experiencing is this search for treasure. And we unconsciously have projected treasure. The nature of the mind is to project through the senses into the world. This is the wisdom of Pantajali and the Yoga Sutra. So as we project our senses into the world, we attach to material objects, which can also be the identification with title, with ego, with profession, with relationship. We attach, which is the first stepping stone of suffering. Because as we attach to something, we assume that what we've attached to is eternal, when in fact it's temporary which leads to our suffering, because as we attach to a temporal object of our desire, in the moment of attachment, it's already changing. So we're trying to keep something that's changing the same. (laughs) So that's the unfortunate demise of the human experience, is we're trying to get happiness from something that was never intended to make us happy. Now, the other battle that's raging in our consciousness is that as we are seeking treasure, We're defending our treasure against dragons. And again, oftentimes we think the dragon is somewhere out there, some person, place, circumstance, when in fact the real dragon is our own limited thinking, our own negative thinking, our own self-doubt, our own security, our own fear, 
That's the real dragon. And of course, what we discover is the real treasure is likewise not out there in the world. It's in here, so to speak, within the heart, within the mind. So fortunately for this young warrior and his moment of despair, he finds a mentor. He finds the wise monk and the wise monk shares with him in a very timeless voice, this principle of what in yoga would be referred to as pratyahara, turning the attention inward. This is what Jesus Christ taught as seek first the kingdom of God, which is within you. This is the great secret, so to speak, is everything that we're looking for, everything that we're fighting for, everything that we're longing for, everything we're desirous of, we already have. It is within us. We simply have to change the direction of the quest that we're all on. And what's so exciting about the story is I've been doing some sneak previews when I travel and speak or at my gym in Santa Cruz. And it just so happens that kind of the way the Holy Spirit wrote through me in this book is it it speaks to children in the same authority, so to speak, that it speaks to a seasoned traveler on the spiritual path. So a parent could read this to a child and simultaneously the parent and the child would increase in wisdom and revelation. Greg, your newest book sounds like it takes you on quite the spiritual journey. It sounds amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Can you share with us your approach to your own personal spiritual practice? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I, I was just lecturing on this very topic. I was at Oxnard Police Department. We're talking about spiritual practice. And this is so important to understand because anything that we're practicing, we will to some degree, achieve mastery in. You know, repetition is the first law of learning. So if we're repeating a behavior or a physical practice, to some degree, we will achieve mastery. So we need to be super mindful of what it is we're repeating because we want what we're repeating to be benefiting us and our neighbor, not detrimental to us and our neighbor. So there's different ways of approaching this principle of practice. And the term that I've really resonated with is sadhana, which is a spiritual practice. So you can have a robust physical practice. For example, I love CrossFit. That's a practice of mine. I love martial arts. I love yoga. Those are all physical practices of mine. Yet, let's face it, those are also temporal practices. Those are going to serve me in the world, but not in eternity. So a spiritual practice, a sadhana, looks to eternity and creates a daily ritual or a daily practice that is intended to ensure that in addition to success, happiness, fulfillment, meaning, purpose in the world, we also are aspiring to having those same effects throughout eternity. It's the long vision. (laughs) It's the great forecast of the future. I would love to hear your morning rituals. Take us through a day just to give us kind of a skeleton of an outline of what individuals who are just starting on their journey have the potential to look for. That's so awesome, sister. I get asked that so often. Mark Devine and I were on a podcast where we went through great detail, almost an hour of just talking about daily practice. And it's such a compelling question. That's a huge part of the book. The way the book ends is there's there's an upcoming sequel. So it leaves the reader knowing, okay, the wise monk is not done. He is coming back to share more 
wisdom with the warrior. The warrior has achieved a great deal of knowledge and revelation, and they're ready for a new chapter in their life. And in order to have that chapter, that season sustained, the last thing the wise monk does before he departs into the mystical forest is he leaves him with a letter. And the young warrior opens the letter, and it it is his sadhana. It's the direction of the wise monk for a daily practice. So what I'll share with you is essentially the epilogue to the book, which is the daily sadhana of a true warrior. And this this principle of like warriorship, that, that has to be understood before we start talking about daily practice, because there's greater reason to embrace a daily practice once the archetype of the warrior has been firmly established in one's life. So historically, a warrior, Guchin Funzaski, the great-great-grandfather of traditional Okinawan karate, he said it best. He said, prepare yourself in the safety of your home, because when you leave, you'll face 1,000 enemy. <laughs> that was the mindset, is that when you leave your home, you are susceptible to the attack of 1,000 enemy, whether that enemy be a true external foe or more than likely the enemy of your own inferior thinking. So the warrior knew that they had to prepare themselves before they left every single day. So when we embrace the warrior archetype, we're more desirous of looking at what we do as much more meaningful. All of a sudden, everything has greater meaning. There's no time for the luxury of idle thinking. There's no time for the luxury of idle action or idle speaking. In fact, the more progressive you develop yourself on the spiritual path, the more self-aware you have to be. This is why I think in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Because an idle thought for someone who's not well-cultivated is rather insignificant. Yet for someone that's really tuned in, who's developed the power of their mind, an idle thought, meaning a thought that's self-destructive, can quickly multiply and accelerate in their life. It's like you master the principles of farming. So a farmer, they're masters of growing seed. And as we progress on the spiritual path, we master the productivity of our own thinking. So when you become a warrior, when you walk that path, you start to look at life lightheartedly, yet a little bit more serious. It's two sides of the same coin. The warrior is the most joyful because they realize the fragility of life, yet they're also deadly serious. They take every variable in their life deadly serious because everything matters. <laughs> Can you tell I'm fired up? <laughs> fired up, brother. Yeah, you know, it's, it's such a passionate subject for me. So once you embrace the warrior archetype, the next question that begs is, all right, can we define our terms? Like, what is a warrior? And the term that I'm working with now is a warrior is one who seeks self-mastery, which is achieved through the daily sadhana. Self-mastery is desired, is sought after, because in self-mastery, we can then serve other people. And so there's two sides to the same coin. Everyone wants to serve. That's such a noble cause in life. Yet ultimately, in order to serve credibly and authentically, we have to master ourselves. We have to be able to lead ourselves before we can lead other people. That's the beauty of the daily sadhana, is we're putting first things first. 
we're taking time every single day to sharpen our sword, to establish serenity, to connect with God, to put on our armor, so to speak, both perhaps physically for the true warrior, someone that's walking in the path of law enforcement or military, or the metaphysical armor of God. We're putting on our armor before we step out into the battlefield. So to succinctly describe my spiritual practice, and this is elaborated on extensively in the book, yet simply in the book, because you know Jesus said a child needs to be able to understand and enter the kingdom of God. So there's nothing complicated. The first thing we do when we wake up is we remain silent. And silence is so important. You know, the still small voice of God, it comes to us in a whisper. And if we're silent, we're likely going to be able to better detect that whisper. So we wake up and we are silent. Now, silence is established simply by not speaking, but silence can be disrupted. In other words, noise can enter our mind if the first thing we do when we wake up is reach for our iPhone and scroll through Facebook or our news feed. That's creating turbulence in the mind. And what we want to do after a long period of silence, which for most people, with the exception of a very advanced meditator, will come during sleep. So we wake up and we roll that silence, that stillness of mind, into our morning. We remain silent. The next thing we do is we start with a glass of water. Still in silence, we just pour a fresh glass of water and we drink a glass of water. And then we sit comfortably with our eyes closed and we just begin to be aware of the breath. The breath, like being aware of the breath in moments of stillness in the safety of our home ensures that as we go through the day, we're also more aware of the quality of our breathing. Throughout all spiritual text, the breath, that term, could easily be substituted for the spirit. In other words, when God created us, he breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. The Holy Spirit was breathed upon us. And so every time we're breathing with consciousness, meaning that we are aware of the inhalation, we're aware of the retention, we're aware of the exhalation, we're aware of the suspension. Like when we're with the breath, a breath can be a life changer. Dan Brule, and that'd be someone who I'd love to have on your show with you. He is such an extraordinary man. Dan we would we would love yeah, to have him. Any any friend or mentor of yours and, and his work yeah, is this, incredible. This is a guru, you know, a modern day sage. And and what Dan says is that an intention empowered by the breath can change the world. You know, just beautiful. So so that's part of the morning practice is is after you're drinking of water, you sit down and you just begin to breathe. And I, I describe in the book a, a very basic rudimentary breathing practice. It's called the warrior breath. This is known in different Communities of breathwork. Uh, Mark Devine refers to this as box breathing. This is a basic four count breathing exercise in which we're simply bringing awareness to the four parts of the breath, which I've described as inhale, hold, exhale, suspend. Then after breathing, we go into meditation. And this is really 
so important. You know, I, I encourage people to really spend even a few moments every day in meditation. And that could be a whole other podcast, like the steps to meditation. The steps that I advocate, the type of mantra meditation I utilize is known as transcendental meditation. I've been doing that for a very long time. Yet, short of going to a TM residence course and learning TM, another very effective mantra to utilize in meditation that I've taught and utilized in my life is, and you'll love this, sister, it's repeating within the temple of one's mind the name for God, which is I am. Yet, rather than saying I am, which could potentially trigger the mind, because that's a word that we associate language with, we can use the ancient sacred meaning of God, Yahweh. And Yahweh can also flow very harmoniously with the inhalation and exhalation, specifically what's called in yoga the ujjayi breath. You may notice as you inhale nostril, there's a natural ya. And as you exhale nostril with ujjayi breath, there's a natural ye, ya, way. It flows rhythmically with the breath. And what you're doing with Yahweh is you're seeing within the mind not so much a word, but a sound or a vibration or a frequency that has been uttered since the beginning of biblical recorded time. In other words, when God revealed his name to Moses, it was Yahweh. And so when we sit in meditation and repeat within the temple of our mind, Yahweh, we're creating that vibration, that resonance, that connection with the creator of the universe. It's extraordinarily powerful. I use that meditation frequently in creative pursuits. When I need to spark my creativity, I'll do Yahweh meditation. Now, the other advantage to that is that Yahweh, what that translated at, what God was telling Moses to then tell you and I, is that the tendency of the mind is to project, as we've already discussed, into the world. So normally we say, I am, in my case for years, a cop. I am a CrossFit coach. I am, people may fill in the blank with, my marriage, I am my profession, I am my finances, I am my, you fill in the blank from there, you run with it. The challenge though is if we're identifying and giving our meaning to or our identification to something out there, if we're I aming something out there, again, the danger with that is that that is temporal. And so if we're I am in something that is temporal and it does what it will do, which is it goes away, our I amness could potentially go with it. And so during the day, we're always I am in. I am this thought, I am this feeling, I am this emotion, I'm doing this, I'm saying that. And the practice of spirituality is reversing that. And that's what God inspired you and I to do, because what God said was, I am that I am. That's pratyahara, that's turning the attention inward to the kingdom of God. And so when we do this meditation, Yahweh, or if we say in our mind, I am, over and over, we're imprinting 
on our subconsciousness that we are already being made in the image of God, complete in our I amness. We don't need anything else to be an I am. We are that we are. And that I amness is substantiated on the fact that we're God's creation. We're made in the image of Him. We don't need anything else. As a matter of fact, that is the pursuit of the young warrior early in the book, is he's I aming something out there. And he learns that he can I am that I am through meditation. And the other really amazing quality of I amness is that as you I am, what's most important, which is God. What Jesus promised becomes fulfilled. And what he said is amazing for the entrepreneur, for those who aspire prosperity, wealth, affluence. What God said through his son, Jesus Christ, is that seek first the kingdom of God, which may beg the question, why? And the answer is because then everything else will be added to you. Isn't that awesome? Because normally what we're doing is we're working so hard (laughs) We're striving. We're killing ourselves out there. And we don't have to. If we seek God first, everything else will be added to us. And so that's part of the morning practice then, this time in the presence of God, time allowing the Holy Spirit to pergulate through us, just resting in that peace. And then the next step is equally important. And these are all building blocks. And so there is some order to these steps. After you spend time, meditating, now the mind is even more still than it had been at the start of meditation. Your mind is, for example, like a very still body of water. Yes. Then what you want to do is bring into your mind an affirmation. I call this the practice of first words. Gabriella, you've done yoga classes with me. This is how I bring people out of Shavasana at the end of yoga is the practice of first words. Like This is, again, kind of that life-changing practice because the first thing we do in the morning is we bring consciousness to first thing that we say because our words are like a pebble that we would drop into that still body of water, which create a rippling effect through every area of our life. And that happens every time we speak, yet so often we speak unconsciously. And so in the morning, After meditation, I sequence the order of events. I bring into my mind the statement that I subsequently intend to speak, which is such a contrast to the normal experience because so often we speak without thinking, without real consciousness. And that's such a shame because our words are potentially so full of creative manifesting power. Yet we tend to throw them around aimlessly. <laughs> you know, the Bible warns us about casting your seed before swine. Like, be, be wary of just aimlessly uttering words. You know, cherish the spoken word. It's the way that we can create. So in the morning, we take the time to really consider what it is we want to say. Like, how are we going to break the silence? And that practice is profound. And then after breaking the silence with either scripture or an affirmation, the next step in the sadhana is spending just a few minutes reading through a spiritual text. And that could be the Holy Bible. In The Warrior and the Monk, I advocate starting with the book of James from the New Testament that really consolidates so many of the principles 
of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ, the message, the gospel of the New Testament. Yet in addition to the Bible, perhaps people are led to the Yoga Sutra or to the Bhagavad Gita. So spend time reading these texts, which teach spiritual alignment, spiritual principality. We've got to be in these texts, which is such a contrast because normally what's the text that we're in? <laughs> you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the newspaper, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great way to connect. Yet the real connection we all need more of is with God. <laughs> so let's like check the news feed of the Bible. <laughs> we both love that. Yeah. And then that, that's amazing. Yeah. And then that, that would conclude the daily practice in the morning. And then there are some steps to consider during the day. Um, but that's the morning practice that, that I have utilized for, for as long as I can remember. You know, that was instilled in me by my parents. My parents used to ask me, what's the first thing I said today? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's all I've ever known. Um, and, and that, that practice, it becomes a guide rail. You know, you can imagine you're, you're yourself hiking very uneven terrain, you know, and, and we need a guide rail or a handrail. And that's what this, sadhana, this daily practice can provide for us. It's a roadmap. So that sounds amazing. And it also sounds as the book really highlights and consolidates a lot of these principles. And I'm curious to know how writing this book has evolved you and your spiritual practice. Well, it's certainly unified the message, um, which is something that I've always been fascinated in. You know, there tends to be great divide, great division in spiritual path, yet a true spiritual path seeks unity, not division. So religion creates war. Spirituality creates union. So in writing the book, what I was looking for was through the pursuit of self-realization, of knowing that we're children of God, through that pursuit, how can the timeless wisdom of the sages, of the saints, of all spiritual texts, how can that all be consolidated and unified into one voice, which is the voice of the wise monk? So as I was writing, I obviously gravitate towards the Bible, specifically the New Testament, the voice of Jesus Christ. Yet I wanted to nevertheless, in the book, reach a really broad audience. I wanted a devout Buddhist to be able to pick up the book and find just as much inspiration, education, fulfillment, help as a Christian. And I think I achieved that. And one of the ways I feel confident in that is that throughout the book, as the monk is teaching, you'll see after the monk says something where the reader may be like, whoa, that's awesome. You'll see an end note. And that would ideally encourage the reader to go to the end of the book and to see what's the source of what the wise monk just said. And what I found in compiling the wisdom is that there's a unified thread through all spiritual text. And to think that there wouldn't be would be a great flaw of our intellect because everything comes from God. And in the same way that people can speak different languages, yet 
instill the same meaning within their words. In other words, I can say something in Italian, English, and French, and that meaning would be transcended through the variety of languages that I speak. Yet I'm saying the same meaning in different language. And that's exactly what God has done over time, is he wants people to get his message, and he's going to use as many different voices as possible. Now, that being said, the ultimate voice we really need to pay attention to is Jesus Christ. I'm very firm on that. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the light. Yet what's so amazing about the words of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, is that it is in perfect harmony with Bhagavad Gita, with the Yoga Sutra. It's in perfect alignment with every spiritual path. And if someone finds himself on a self-proclaimed spiritual path that is divergent from the words, the message of Jesus Christ, they've got a major problem on their hands. (laughs) They need to reconsider the path they're on and the direction that their life is leading them. So the way that this book really shaped me was it gave me greater appreciation for the infinite number of ways that God can reveal himself to his children. That's just so beautifully said. So we've talked a lot about spiritual practice and that internal work. What about the physical practice? What about how you utilize the physical body to express these kinds of things? Yeah, the physical practice and the the mental practice, the spiritual, I mean, these are all equally important. They, They have to all be integrated. And what's beautiful is that as we progress on the spiritual path, as we progress on the physical path, on the mental path, we realize these are all the same path. They can all support the same end state. And so for me, exercise, whether it be martial arts, CrossFit, yoga, that's worship. I'm communing with God. So the physical movement of my body, and when I teach these principles, the physical movement of the human body can be a means of deepening our faith in God, of deepening our connection to the infinite. So a spiritual practice can be fulfilled and sustained and enhanced by a physical practice and vice versa. Someone on a purely physical practice, a physical pursuit, is missing something that would ultimately enhance their physical practice. So they all need to be harmoniously integrated. And that's a fairly advanced concept because, you know, at a young age, I was clearly more interested in the physical adaptation. Now, Coach Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, said something to me, you know, it was like God prophesied through him. He said something to me that was a game changer in 2004. And we were watching this competition between two athletes that were trying to get their first muscle up, consolidating the story. They were trying to get their first muscle up. The muscle up for the listener that's unaware is, according to Coach Glassman, the founder of CrossFit, the world's highest pull-up and the world's lowest dip combined in one movement. So that's an amazing skill. These athletes are trying to get their first muscle up. Now, moments before their attempt, one athlete said, I've never done a muscle up before. Today, I'm going to get my first one. The other athlete said, I've never done a muscle-up before. There's no way I can complete this workout. (laughs) Self-fulfilling words here, because in just a matter of a few seconds, the athlete that said, I can do it, he did it. 
he got not one, but 10 muscle-ups to win that workout, that competition. The athlete that said, I cannot complete the workout, he also self-fulfilled his self-defeating prophecy. He failed at his attempts and ultimately did not complete the workout. After Coach Glassman and I watched that, he pulled me aside and, and, and listened to this. He said, you know what, kid? The greatest adaptation to CrossFit takes place between the ears. Like, isn't that amazing? Listen to that one more time. Like, this could be that, that word that someone really needed today. The greatest adaptation to CrossFit takes place between the ears. Now, we could substitute, Gabriella, CrossFit for yoga. Let's hear how that sounds. The greatest adaptation to yoga takes place between the ears. We can substitute that for running, for surfing, you name it. The greatest adaptation for any physical practice will take place between the ears. In other words, in our thinking. The more I meditate on that, the greater gift Glassman gave me all those years ago because I've achieved, you've achieved, I'm sure the listeners have achieved to some degree, some pretty great physical adaptations. Like any listener that's done a muscle up, that's a great adaptation to a physical practice. But what coach was inspiring me to realize is that in spite of how great the physical adaptation might be, the greatest adaptation is between the ears. Now, here's what's firing me up as of late. Oh, you guessed my next question. Yeah, another way of describing that on the spiritual path is that no matter how great the temptation of the world may lead us to believe it is, the greatest adaptation is within our heart, within our mind. Like That's the final frontier. So we can use the physical practice to lead us to what's greatest, which is the journey within. Yet the journey within can also support the journey without. That's why in so many of the New Thought text, you'll see as within, as without. A Course in Miracles, that's the premise of so much of what they teach. That is really great. And everyone is going to want to know what's next for you. What's the next project? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of like I, I, I answered when we first started, you know, I don't, I, I don't have some great plan. You know, my, my plan is that sadhana. It's just staying connected. You know, that's how I came up with the warrior and the monk. Um, that was kind of a download. You know, that, that came after a very extensive season in my life when I was just really quite content in, in longer periods than normal of meditation. And out of that stillness and depth of connection, boom, it's like a, a zip file was imprinted in my consciousness. And I unpacked Beautiful. the warrior and the monk. That's, to me, what's most important, you know, to project the mind too far in the future, there's a little bit of risk in that because we tend to then go on our own. You know, that, that's why the Bible says, today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice today and be glad in it. You know, it's not 20 years from now. That's the day the Lord has made. Let's look forward to that. It's today. And anything that we want to accomplish or experience tomorrow, the steps that we take today will allow that bright future, the kingdom of heaven, so to speak, to be an experience we'll have in the future. Yet getting there is a matter of what we're doing, what we're thinking, what we're saying today. It's going to be really beautiful to see what unfolds next. Oh, thank you. Where can people find you? 
<laughs> I'm in seclusion. <laughs> Where can you find your work? Seminary's been such a all, it's an all-encompassing endeavor. Like there's no place I'd rather be yeah. than, uh, than on campus. Uh, just just immersing myself. So I made that my priority. So I'm being a little bit more selective about um, you know, where I go, what I do. Um, I'm also very committed to the athletes at my gym that are kind of under my care in Santa Cruz. So I'd say probably my website, gregoryamundson.com, that's where they can catch uh, updates on release of book, speaking engagements. That's where my podcast is. So that might be a good starting point for what I'm up to and how to contact me or how to get a hold of some of my books or other projects that I've got going on. And you also have a podcast, which is phenomenal. Thank you. Yeah. The Greg Amundsen show is my podcast and that, that's on iTunes and people can also stream that directly from my website, gregoryamundsen.com. That um, always provides wonderful messages. For me. Thank you so much. Well, brother, it was such a pleasure to have you on our show. And we can't wait to have you on again to talk about meditation in more detail. Thank you, sister. I, I'm, I'm so blessed that you asked me to be on your show. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. <laughs>